Hi, and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. As always, my name is Laura Boyle, and I'm your host. You can find our blog at www.readyforpolyamory.com. Today's topic is a tarot part of the second half of season one of Showtime's Polyamory, Married, and Dating, the kind of epic early 2010s reality television show, the high time of scripted, unscripted reality television. So we're here with Corwin, who is uh, the owner of Upline, Connecticut's premier rope studio, which of course, due to the pandemic, is running events mostly virtually. Uh, And you can find his information in the guest uh, pop out below the description. So we're going to go into some detail and kind of tear apart the tropes and stereotypes that were applied to this. You can view this through any streaming service that will allow you to add on the Showtime channel. I don't know whether you can get Showtime independently, but I know you can get it as an add-on to either Hulu or Amazon Prime. I have it as an add-on to Amazon Prime, and I believe Corwin has it as an add-on to his Hulu account. So that said, if you'd like to watch along before listening to it, each episode is about 25 minutes or... If you want, you can just go back to the previous season of the podcast and listen to us tear apart episodes one through three prior to listening to this. So one way or another, here we go. Yeah, this was, uh, that last episode was particularly painful. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I mean... So the whole thing as a unit was way less painful than episodes one through three. We must That's admit. true. There was the fighting and Jen's uh, sort of issues with jealousy and past partners. Right. Uh, so in organizing the housewarming, there were a bunch of issues with jealousy. And in the celebrating of the 10th anniversary everybody gets jealous to a different degree of everyone else in the quad at some point in episodes four and five, but only Jen gets treated as if that's a problem again, just like in episodes one, two, and three, because Jen apparently is the only one who isn't allowed to feel feelings. And then there's the Roxanne arc. The Roxanne arc continues tea and a chat happens and goes very differently depending on who you ask i think my favorite on this rewatch was that uh during the scene where they negotiate having a sherry come to their housewarming party or not uh i was discussing it with the people i was watching it with and it was jen and tall and genital fighting and genital fighting and there was a lot of genital fighting (laughs) i mean (laughs) that's like what happens with the quad right like Episode four opens with the quad sitting down to celebrate the 10th wedding anniversary of Kamala and Michael. And Michael like offers Kamala a infinity heart necklace. Ugliest necklace I have ever seen. 
yeah, it's like an ugly crystal heart with a metal infinity symbol over it. He gives her this super tacky necklace and she's sort of like, oh my God, he never gives me jewelry. This is amazing. But they've just She specifically says he's really bad at giving jewelry. Well, right. But she also is like, but this is rare. Hmm. Uh, But also they've just sat down with a picnic and then she puts him in the car to take him away for a day apparently without having warned the other members of the quad who are like what so there's a certain amount of lack of communication on her part which we've seen before where she just doesn't tell anybody her plans and assumes that they're better plans than anybody else's plans she sort of donald trumps it i have the best plans (laughs) And everyone else is supposed to put up with that. And not just put up with that, but, like, love it. They also brought their kid with them that they kind of just left on the beach, from what I can tell. Well, no, that was a different picnic. That was, like, the beach visit in the next episode. Oh, is that what, oh that's right. That's where they decided to... You're right. That's where they right. decided They to... knew they were leaving this one, so they didn't bring the kid along this time. Right, right, right. So she takes him for a, like, conventionally romantic couple's night away, and her explanation is that she wants to prove how interested she is in just him as a person. And he's like, oh this is kind of boring and odd usually we like do more interesting things and then at the end she's like but you can have tea and a chat with roxanne Woo! exactly so she's very much giving him what she thinks is like a pity tea because Roxanne has pitched it as like, I'll give him a pity tea, but we don't know what it is. <clears throat> yeah. It's uh, his immediate question after uh, Kamala was like, you can go have a tea and a chat with her was how far can I go with her? And are you giving the okay for us to have a relationship? She's like, hold on like this i'm giving no okay for you to go have some tea with her and he took that as a yes to the relationship from everything i can tell watching it yeah like he assumes that he has a right to all of her partners that has been unfairly withheld in this case nah i'm just saying you guys can be friends because i was being a little unfairly possessive in saying you couldn't be friends if you wanted to be and she said she wanted to try to be your friends so go get to know each other but and then, then they the, give each other lemons and flowers yes and when he goes lemons she's like it was kind of phallic which is an odd intro And I don't know if it's just the editing or if they actually were, like, super touchy for the whole tea in a chat. But the 
editing makes it look like they didn't stop touching knees, arms around elbows. Yeah, it's it, it was honestly somewhat hard to tell uh, what Roxanne wanted out of that interaction or what she got out of that interaction. It seemed like he was like, this went great and she's into me and this is going to happen. And in the meantime, she seemed more hesitant afterwards, but more into it during. So it's unclear, at least right. to me. And we don't get her point of view afterward, except that like an episode later, we see her at a party being like, ah, ha, 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 no. Uh, she did talk to uh, Kamala at some point about it and said like, it went fine. But there was not seemingly an overwhelming like, hey, this is the greatest thing. Uh, and it's not clear because she's trying to spare her feelings or because she actually genuinely didn't see that happening. Right. And Kamala has like a jealous half breakdown during it. And everyone is super understanding of this jealous half breakdown. You know, I shouldn't say nothing wrong because he's been quite pushy. But all he's done is be pushy. He's consistent. Yeah. He's been himself. And then later that episode, we'll come back to the triad because they have their own storyline. Then we move on to Kamala's like, okay, we want to make Jen feel at home in our home. And they've now lived here a month, Jen and Hall. So let's have our monthly potluck, but send out a special invite saying it's from all of us and give her some ownership of the monthly potluck. But from what I can tell, they give her no actual ownership of the potluck except putting her name on the invitation and giving her some chores to do. And then everybody scolds her when she's uncomfortable with one of Tall's exes with whom he broke a boundary and or rule attending. I think that's a really good sort of interesting part of it. Uh, how do you handle something like this, right? Like you're having events and like, I'm one of those people, I host events from time to time. How do you handle, you know, an ex-partner, an ex-metamore, person that is generally not you know objectionable aside from your somebody else's history with them how do you decide on do you invite them do you not right i think the issue here was more that tall didn't even take a moment to like take a beat to go yeah I behaved in a way that broke our agreements with this person. I don't intend to do that again. Therefore, you don't have a reason to continue having a fear-based jealous reaction about that person. Let's collectively move on about them and transition forward. Instead, Tall got really defensive and was like, well, we don't need to break up in polyamory. We're more advanced than that. We transition and like borrowed other people's language about it. 
and kind of scolded her for not being able to do that yet. I, I think it's, you know, pretty apparent that he sees things from a different perspective when it comes to Polly. Uh, like, she seems into the idea of she's with him and other people are sort of an add-on. While he sees these relationships as slightly more fluid and slightly more fulfilling and is potentially looking at, uh, you know, what does that relationship look like past the romantic part of it? Uh, but yeah, at the same time, it's not really fair of him to sort of not even hear her out on those feelings. But I think you can see it his way and still go, oh, well, I made agreements about that and then didn't keep to them. So I see why you have these feelings. In order for all of us to move forward to a neutral place or a positive place even, I'm not going to be romantic with that person anymore. I'm not going to be sexual with that person anymore. And that will involve some concessions from her, but also some from him. It's not just telling her to stop having feelings. And like Kamala doesn't get told to stop having feelings when she has feelings about Roxanne because it's assumed that she is generally at this higher plane of existence and that this is a one-off. Whereas it's assumed that Jen hasn't ascended and I hope that the level of scare quotes that I am putting around these things is apparent in my tone. But like polyamorous people are no more enlightened than anyone else and no matter how egalitarian you are or how much you try to have good breakups where you transition to friendships with people there may still be negative feelings right or there may be negative feelings on the part of your partners yeah and it's pretty apparent that like this history is causing them issues my my question honestly was when i was watching that is there a place for them to say yeah you know what this person is not invited even though they were before because jen lives here now and has a problem with her or is it a case of like no you have to treat everybody in your community with equal sort of stance and personal issues don't really matter in this case. Well, so when I found out that the person was still actively involved with Kamala and Michael, my understanding shifted a little because I'm like, oh, that's why they're pushing so hard. This person is still a meta of hers just through a different person. So she's got to figure out how to be civil with them. And that's a valid goal. And when Kamala finally, like, shifted her approach and went from, well, we're just inviting her, you've got to figure out how to deal, to what do you need to be civil during the party, even if you don't say more than hello? 
that was the moment where I'm like, okay, finally, someone asked the right question. Because that's actually being supportive of Jen's need right then. But since it was supposed to be like a housewarming party for Jen to make Jen feel more welcome, giving Jen a little more control over the guest list might have been smart. It's interesting because from what I understand, that potluck uh, was actually sort of publicly advertised. It wasn't a uh, invite just specific people. Well, and that's how they got the triad there in theory. Right. In reality, it's that whoever's producing the show got them there, but... Right. Yeah, it's uh, it's obviously a difficult situation because Jen is very resistant to everything that they're trying to do there, but at the same time, very justifiably so. Uh, she's not seemingly getting nearly as much benefit out of this arrangement as everybody else. Yeah, it seems like she's getting some benefit out of it but her cost benefit analysis is not such a positive balance sheet as say tall's because tall is landing with a partner who he's super compatible with and a meta who he gets along with really well who's his bro and like She's landed with a partner who she's, like, okay with. But that's why, like, in the early episodes, we saw the awkward getting in the car scenes. <laughs> and a partner who she, a second partner who she's okay with. That's why we keep seeing the, like, well, the girls are good if they're getting in the shower together and not doing any kind of chore. <laughs> because they run their households opposite each other. They're constantly, like, picking at each other over the dishes. That was the other thing that really stood out to me, is uh, when they're getting ready the day of their potluck, and, you know, all the usual cleaning the house activities are going on, and uh, Jen uh, yells out something to Michael instead of walking up to him, and... Kamala basically scolds her for like, she says, I, we don't yell at each other. And I was like, all right, that's, that's another real interesting point of like, you're seeing your, one of your partners treating your other partner, not the way you would treat them. They've How do you address yelled that? at each other on screen, Kamala and Michael. Yeah, of course. But you know, it's different when you're seeing somebody else do it. And <laughs> And, and those rules are obviously completely different against scare quotes. Um, so, you know, I, but yeah, like that was obviously not the best way to handle it. Uh, but then, right. you know. Especially since Jen is feeling patronized, as we know from the interviews. And as the audience, we get the interviews, so we know that. Whereas her partners at the time don't get the interview information. So they may not realize that she's feeling patronized. Yeah, that was a perfect highlight of that particular concept. Um, and I mean, obviously, it's something that, you know, if you have that concern, like, I don't know, is it better to, I guess, approach your partner, the one that got yelled at in this situation, say, hey, did that? 
worry you because it worried me. Right. Does that actually bother you? Because that makes me feel bad. And like, I'm someone who goes to my partner and goes, hey, does that bother you? Because that would bother me. And a lot of the time, the answer is no, because we're really different people. But yeah, it's, uh, I, I thought that that moment was interesting for uh, for them. And, you know, it was a small tidbit, but highlighting that larger trend of Jen basically being told, you're new to poly, so we'll go at your speed, but also here's how you need to do everything. Yeah, she never gets to have agency, and she's constantly asking for chances to have agency. Yeah. And, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, and like, we see more of her rulemaking as a reaction to that. Like at the party, she starts talking about uh, Tal making out with everybody and having to like wash out his mouth before kissing her again. And that seems like a new rule that she's tacking on in reaction. She overcompensates with the rules anytime she feels like she's been told too many times how she needs to do something which is the exact opposite of what they want her to be doing. And so it creates a negative feedback loop. So now that we've reached the party, we're going to roll backwards and talk about what happened to the triad up to the party. So remember how at the end of episode three, Vanessa, the blonde one, was like, I'm going to propose to Anthony and Lindsay the brunette one. So we've got this happy triad who are about to have their three-year anniversary together who are like, we're so in love. This is great. We're totally over the fact that we just broke up Lindsay and her boyfriend. Lindsay is apparently totally over this, even though it was like a week and a half ago. Um... (laughs) Maybe their filming was on a different schedule than the other people, but I don't think so. But she's apparently totally over this. And so Vanessa goes to Lindsay and Anthony and is like, guys, we have two separate anniversaries, but I want us to make it one of them because I've planned a surprise. So I've got a big surprise for you. Don't plan anything. Everything is going to happen like magic. And they get taken to a fancy restaurant. They're out. It looks like it's this wonderful private renting out of a fancy restaurant. And then a whole bunch of their friends walk in. That's the point where I would go, the fuck? (laughs) It seemed like... uh... Vanessa, like, it actually worked out in her favor because she built up the suspense and the tension in the room. And then that seemed like that was the surprise, which seemed to relax them because they're like, oh, God, thankfully, she like, could be worse. She could propose. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard because they had a conversation at home like, wait, do you... Do you think she's going to propose? And I, from the way they cut it, you're purposely left not knowing what they think about that so that you're surprised by their reaction and you still can't tell in the restaurant 
whether they're saying yes is like super legit or is just them being shocked and in front of a bunch of their friends. So they go, yes, of course, yes. Well, and the crucial part of that was uh, uh, Vanessa, the blonde one, going out with her also blonde, almost identical looking sister, mm -hmm. uh, where I, f I fully expected that to be a, uh, like her being super not supportive, but she actually seems to be pretty supportive. The different issue came up that was, uh, she was like, wait, so you want to propose to them like this publicly? Like, what if they say no? And Vanessa's like, it's fine. This is all a test. If they say no, like, obviously they're in the wrong. Yeah. It. So this whole series of episodes kind of ends up being about all of their relationships with their families. In the first three episodes, we get the vague statement that Kamala's family is supportive, but we don't talk to any of them. And we get Jen's family, like, disowning her. So this is the first supportive family member we actually meet. And it's these two basically identical sisters sitting on a bench in a florist shop talking about this sounds like a really cool idea, but if it goes badly, are you going to be okay? Which I think is the most supportive way to phrase, are you fucking insane, I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. If I were trying to, like, nicely tell one of my friends, you're crazy... I would say it as, but what if they say no? <laughs> but the editors cut that in between with, what if, what if she's going to propose? It's been like three years. We could like commit more to her and like cut back and forth between those. And that juxtaposition really makes you wonder, are they going to say no? Yeah, it's, uh, it, it definitely, the showrunners did a decent job of setting it up as will they, won't they? Uh, but also, yeah, it was sort of, the impression that I got of, uh, uh, Lindsay and Anthony talking was that they were sort of supportive of the idea but it wasn't their idea it sounded like basically it was just brought up to them and they were like yeah we'd probably do a ceremony like should we do a ceremony uh, yeah and it just maybe it's just me because I like rewatched all the way through to get through to the end of episode 6 but because Lindsay had just had Vanessa show up and demand that she dump someone in what in realistic reality show filming time was probably only like a week and a half ago, it didn't strike me as super likely that she'd be like, yeah, no, I'm totally over that. I'm definitely going to say no when she asks me to marry her in a further week. I can see it either way. But yeah, so they set up this tension and they introduced their friend, which I thought that was actually kind of a nice part of the episode because mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, Polly is 
you do meet a lot of people, you do meet a lot of cool people and you form connections that are very sort of interesting and sometimes unusual, uh, like they had with that other couple. It is nice. Yep. Um, but yeah, then, then Vanessa brings the tension back up with uh, standing them up and delivering a rousing speech about their commitment and their marriage <laughs> and the anniversaries and how will they marry her when she gets down on one knee. Um, and then the latest twist comes out, which is she doesn't want them to get rings. She wants them to get their rings tattooed on their ring fingers uh, in order to ne never be able to take them off. Uh, so that's basically the triad's storyline is they get engaged. It's awesome. There's a gratuitous group sex scene with some of their friends because Showtime's got a Showtime. So, like, as always, there is more nudity than non-nudity in this show. And, you know, if that's your bag, great. <laughs> but if you prefer your television mostly clothed, this is not your television program. Or maybe they this do podcast have... is your television program. But... <laughs> They would give that FBI like keeping records warning at the end of the show in the credits of like everybody filmed was in fact over 18. Yes, we checked. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so the uh, there's the like gratuitous group sex thing. Then the triad goes back home they, one of them is on a newsletter that gets the invitation to the potluck, even though they live like four hours away um, from the it, pod. It looked like Facebook to me, Facebook of the time. Yeah, what if, what a, it's either like 2012 Facebook or a mailing list or a blog ring you know, some shit like that, right? Like, really old Reddit? <laughs> yep. Something. There, there was an RSVP thing that they show over oh, Anthony's shoulder. Oh, an RSVP thing, so it must be really old Facebook. Yeah, so he RSVP'd yes and not maybe. Yeah. And so... then they went to go see their girlfriend Vanessa at her work. Yes, and it turns out that her work is that she is a dancer. Yes, the kind of dancer who does not wear much in the way of clothing. It just adds up. Like, it's of course she's a dancer, right? Like, it's her whole, like, if you watch the show, it just makes perfect sense. Right. Um, because she, she fits all of that archetype. And her personality, like, it works out perfectly well. But at the same time, it just feels like such a stereotype. Right. It, it, like, it's, it, it was thrown in there because, of course, they're Polly. And, of course, she works at a dance club or a strip club or whatever. Right. Just the couple of academics spiced up their marriage by becoming Polly with a dancer. I think that's exactly what's sort of uh, 
you know, somewhat humorous or ironic about it is that uh, they try to make this a big revelation, but of course it, it is a trope. Um, they go, they go to work, they tell her at work that they're going to this party and she's just like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Why would we be friends with people just because they're poly? Which is the truest thing this show has ever said. It's, you know, I, I both agree and disagree with her because I have found that going to events in my early poly life was a positive thing because even though if I didn't get along with the people and like a lot of them, I didn't, um, it was nice to see it normalized like that. It was nice to see it as all kinds of people do this and there are various levels of being out to their friends, family and coworkers. Uh, so like I encourage people when they first start practicing poly to go to events and not just go it alone. But at the same time, like her, you know, it seemed like she wasn't sure if this was going to be a sit down potluck with a bunch of talking like it was, or if this was going to be an orgy. Lindsay was the one who thought that it was going to be a sex party. That's right. She kept bringing it up. seemed very sure that it was just going to be a bunch of people sitting around having a potluck. And she was like, that doesn't sound that fun. We don't know who these people are. Why would we drive hours to meet people we might have nothing in common with? We can do that here. And clearly, because this is a television show, the answer is the producers wanted them to meet the other half of the television show. But... I'm with you that in real life you should meet your local community so that like you can figure out who you like and even who you don't like but have anything in common with beyond just being poly whether it's how out you are the shape of your polycule a random hobby whatever so that you know that you're not the only one right like just that is valuable especially when you're new even when you're not sometimes it's just a nice reminder i think it's valid right like it's uh it there is some intangible benefit to it i think when i see people come out to their first poly munch or whatever um there's sort of several different types of people you might see that are doing this for the first time some of them do this because they're like this is this giant wide dating field. Nobody's off limits. And like everybody's there for one reason. It, it is to find somebody to fuck, right? It's, it's those people. And then there's the people that are like, hey, we're doing this. We don't want to date anybody new. We just added a new person to the whatever dynamic. Uh, and like we are trying to figure out because there's a bunch of problems seemingly here and like we suspect others may have encountered those same issues and we just want to like make friends with them and figure out how they handled it mm -hmm. and watching those two meets is always you know oil and water situations yeah and there's the like oh i need neutral ground to introduce my new sweetie to all of the people who i've previously been seeing this munch is a safe space to do that where they don't have the pressure of meeting in private in case they don't have anything in common all they have to do is chat for five minutes yeah i mean those social gatherings do serve several different purposes <laughs> mm -hmm. 
there are lots of things that can happen at those meetings, both in public and at people's private houses. Like there are people in our community who throw big enough events that like, if you know someone who goes to them regularly, you can sort of just show up and follow your friend along and oh yeah, of course you came with so-and-so great. <laughs> And suddenly you're invited forever. I, I didn't think that it was outrageous for them to drive out there. Um, no, I don't think that they would have done that if they weren't on the show. But eventually triads like that would have found something local that might have caught their interest. I, I did find sort of the, the confusion about like, is this an orgy or potluck or both? Um endearing because like yeah i mean i remember not being able to figure out what each event is going to be about um because a lot but, of the descriptions are really vague right like you, you don't advertise an orgy on facebook as hey we're having an orgy bring condoms uh you will often see it advertised as we're having a soiree you know <laughs> <laughs> Remind me never to come to your soirees. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, but the point is that I think, uh, you know, yeah, you, you, you might sometimes run into that confusion. And if you're brand, brand new to it, yeah, if it's a potluck, there's no fucking going on. Everybody's just talking about the mashed potato recipe that they read off the back of the cardboard box. Uh, and modified with the one extra ingredient and how awesome it came out. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's like any community that you walk into in the middle of, like they have their own sort of dynamic. Uh, and, and that was apparent from their opening circle uh, part where like, oh, they keep interrupting and like some would consider that rude, but they're new here. So we're gonna, it's okay to patronize them in this TV mm -hmm. show about it. About being patronizing hippies who happen to practice polyamory. Like, mostly it's that the quad are like super hippies who happen to be poly. And the triad aren't super hippies who happen to be poly. Like, I've met a lot of polyamorous people. And there's a good subset of them who like are big hippies who like open and close their events with circles and hold ceremonies and add all of these ritual aspects to their events and there's an equally large number who absolutely don't and are just like okay Savory food is in the kitchen. Dessert is in the dining room. Everybody help yourselves. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I don't find it uh, strange, but I did find it definitely sort of off-putting the way that they perceived uh, the new people, uh, you know, and like, oh, look, fresh meat. Yeah, Tall literally called them fresh meat. Or was it Tall or Michael? It was. It was Tall. Yeah, Tall literally called them fresh meat. And Michael was like, I'm straight. But uh, Anthony, he's real attractive. And I yep. was like, wow. That is some something. That was a tough night for Michael, being stuck between that and 
Roxanne, before this party again, he asked multiple times, how far can I go with her? And they were like, it's a potluck. And, and, and his, uh, his thing with it is constantly like, what can I do with her? When can I get her in the sack? You're hosting an event, so I can't just take her upstairs. This is not fair. Right. And, uh, and we also, at this party, got a brief introduction to Jesse, Jen's partner. But yeah, so, uh, you know, this party, I think, again, I, I thought that it was a good glimpse into what these things are actually like. And the sort of, you know, hey, are we going to end up getting naked like this thing? No, it's just a conversation and a chat and meeting new people. And then they all leave. Honestly, more people kissed at the beginning of this for the camera than is normal at any of these that I've ever been to. Like, Agreed. There is one of our local ones where people are like slightly over cuddly and there is some kissing, but some, not that much. (laughs) Like... Listeners, if you watch the episode, the like, the only way chocolate can be consumed is by passing it from one mouth to another. That shit is not normal. <laughs> I mean, if it's your bag, then go for it. Just, right, uh, get you consent know, and do you, it. you don't need to, but like, like, get consent and do it if you want, but. It's not the way of our people. They did talk about consent very briefly. They did uh, with the, the hugging be- of the new people. But I they like said, yes, we normally them. like to hug. Yeah, like they, they were saying normally, we do like to hug people, but we ask them for, we, we ask the new people if it's okay because we want to give them a choice. Great concise way to phrase it. Followed up with, but these people were hot. Right, which was ridiculous. And then on top of that, the fact that apparently they think that consent can never be withdrawn because they never ask any of the other people who they've ever been with before for anything ever, except that Michael asks Roxanne sometimes things so that he can be shot down on camera california based or west coast based poly groups tend to be more about the dating and about creating like all those cross connections between all the different polycules by getting involved with each other because they were treating the people that had been to their house the the quad had or really kamala and michael as like it's the vibe that i got was we've slept with most of these people and like i mean like clearly they're just a giant ouroboros of a polycule right right and that's fine but we have those here too so that's not a west coast thing that's a did your polycule get big enough that your metas started dating their metas at a certain point if your dating pool is wide but shallow you just start dating your metamors. Right. Which is a real interesting place to be once you start sort of seeing patterns from like this person dated that person and this other person dated that same person. Wow, there's some real interesting takes of polyamory from that. We get everybody in the same place for the potluck. They're in this opening circle. We get past the fact that they're kind of rude in chatting during the opening circle. 
they get to one of the triad members, I can't remember which one, asks, so who here is out to their family during, while everyone's still seated for the opening circle? Half the room raises their hands. Uh, Lindsay, who is the only member of the triad who's not out, and Tall, who is the only member of the quad who's not out, decide that they have to come out. And Anthony decides that he has to tell his parents that they're engaged now. So episode six is everybody telling their family all the things. So it turns out that Anthony, Lindsay, and Vanessa are all from the same small town or something? They grew up together, so they actually had known each other for... Like, since they were kids. So they've known each other forever. So they all grew up in the same town north of San Diego. So they go up there. And they go to Anthony's parents' house first. Because his parents are selling their house. So they're, like, helping clear out stuff. And I don't know why I cleaned up my language there. I don't have to. This is my podcast. We can use as many four-letter words as we'd like. Um, But so they're sitting there with some drinks and they tell his parents and his parents are like, cool. And then Vanessa is like, it's going to be a tattoo. Yeah. And then his dad, you be dad, because you are a dad. It's true. Uh, his advice was, I, I guess I'm going to be the asshole here. Like, that's a terrible idea. And they immediately turned around on him and go like, well, that sounds like you don't think that we'll make it. You, it sounds like you're not supportive of us. Uh, and again, like, I think you could be perfectly supportive of people while pointing out to them that the decision they're about to make is not necessarily well thought through. In this case, I think he's 100% right. And uh, Vanessa gives her justification, which is, again, you can't take off your ring and throw it across the room in a fight, which my question to that is, how often was this happening before you got engaged? Is this a real possibility that you have to guard against in this manner? Also, how many rings were they wearing? Right. Like, I mean, like, it, were the other two fighting with one another and throwing wedding rings? And is she that's wearing what, one that they've given her? Is this, like, was this something her parents did? Yeah. It's, uh, you know, like, again, to me, that's not a good justification uh, for for getting, you know, a matching tattoo with your partner or partners. Uh, I, I understand the impulse, but uh, you're going to be with the person if you want to be with them, not because you got matching tattoos. It's, you know, again... Uh, if it's your choice and that's what you ended up doing, like, I'm not trying to tell you that you did the wrong thing necessarily. I think it's something that's worth considering from a different angle than this will prevent us from fighting in a particular way. But so that's basically what we get out of talking to Anthony's parents who are very nice and no clue if they're acting for the cameras in how nice they are or if they're just legit like the sweetest people. But they are clearly super sweet people. I like them. I thought that they were genuine, at least for the most part. 
if, yeah. if, if they weren't for some part of it, it was hard for me to detect. So they seemed super nice. Then we move on to Lindsay's mom, who is apparently getting come out to uh, about everything, literally everything, that Lindsay's bi, that she's poly, that they're engaged, everything all at once, that they've been together for three years, the whole deal. This reaction was so good that if this wasn't faked for cameras, redone at least twice, like, reshot until it came out right, while Lindsay's anxiety went through the roof, then I will eat a hat. It was sort of the textbook response to your child coming out to you about something. Uh, it, it's easy to sort of watch this as like, they walked in, they sat down, they had a sort of awkward, like clearly there's an elephant in the room. And then they, uh, and then they uh, actually talked about it. And uh, Lindsay's mother had like the ideal response to it. Uh, remember that, like, before they got there, a camera crew came into her house, had her signed releases set up in there, and told her, like, hey, these people are coming, we're going to film your conversation. Uh, so even if that was the very first take, she got some advance warning that, like, this is on camera. Well, right. So she got warning that this was on camera. Lindsay seems like very awkward and super anxious super anxious so i'm sure that she like said it totally wrong at least once and therefore had to say it more than once and so if she had to say it more than once i'm sure her mom had more than one chance to react so maybe what we got in the show was the take that was her mom's first reaction or several takes spliced together but, right exactly yeah but at the same time if you watch this episode and like take note that is how you should respond to your child coming out to you and i say this like I, I don't usually give hard and fast sort of things like that but like this one is pretty clear that was a really good response right the mom did a great job the mom was just sort of like she's been inseparable from both of you forever so how could she not love you of course right. it's fine of course you're all fine and no duh is she happy like, like of course like no duh and is she happy okay then we're good like yeah and, and she specifically said uh, like she told them that she's proud of them and she specifically addressed Vanessa. I think, you know, again, I, uh, not knowing exactly like how, like, or what we're missing from the recording. Uh, I think it, you know, it was still an important thing to acknowledge that Vanessa's feelings in this are also sort of at stake. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how she's going to be treated by this woman who it seems like they were close uh, for a big chunk of her life. Well, right, and Vanessa says that the fact that we didn't get a lot of Lindsay's mom responding to Lindsay, we most got Lin mostly got Lindsay's mom responding to Vanessa, was notable, uh, and is part of what makes me think it's part of a later take. Yeah, 
Because uh, Vanessa's more eloquent. Reaction. Well, right. And it's part of because Lindsay's mom responding to Lindsay would be like a gut reaction first flinch, but then Vanessa reacted and Vanessa's reaction was big. She was sobbing because she was scared that like now she wasn't going to be appreciated or close to this person who she had a close relationship with yep. which leads us into tall's parents Ooh, and yeah like they their family has their family is not like my family but i see some echoes of that being originally from eastern europe um, having a part of my family that is jewish and um uh, observes a, a, so at least some of those traditions that they saw here and being that sort of conservative old world view like you gotta be proper one man one woman mm -hmm. um so i get some of that yeah the series of events here is very ironic and hilarious in that they're heading to the parents house for but even before that jen doesn't want him to come out because remember, her family has already disowned them, basically. So now she feels like his family is all they've got. It, it seems like also she just is losing trust in him a little bit through this whole process. So maybe mm -hmm. not just about this, but like she seems to oppose everything that he proposes. Right, uh, that too. But in particular, her stated objection is that. It's a valid objection. Right. That, like, like it's a it's a valid concern. Right. That like her mom isn't really speaking to her. Her sister will only meet her out in public. She feels like she lost her family. She doesn't want to lose his. That said, she comes around to okay, they're your family. If you want to tell them, you tell them. And he goes, okay, we're gonna do it at Shabbat dinner, and all four of us are gonna go. And then we're going to tell them when we're all four of us there. And now continue with what you were going to say. And they're driving in the car uh, with Tal and Jen uh, sitting in the back seat. And Tal gets a text message from his father saying that uh, they saw Tal and Jen uh, on some website half naked. With not a whole lot of other detail given. Mm -hmm. uh, and Tal and Jen naturally start freaking out a bit because they're like, where are we? What could this be? But like in a way that, come on, like they know what it was to have a pretty good idea of where they might have been half naked on a website. If you only do it a little bit, it's pretty memorable. If you do it a lot, you can assume that it's out there. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and so he's like, okay, now in addition to addressing the fact that we or polyamorous and that we actually left our home and moved into this other couple's home uh, where we live as a quad. I also have to address the fact that uh, you saw me naked on some website. Yeah. As they are pulling into their drive or his parents' driveway and they walk in and uh, he seemed to be somewhat confused. And the person, one of the people I was watching the show with also seemed somewhat confused by the fact that like his parents were very cordial. It seemed like that conversation was not going to affect their dinner. 
And to me, it makes perfect sense because you keep it in the family, right? Like you're not going to dress your son being naked on some website right, in front of people. In front of the guests. And so they, they all sit down the, uh, for dinner uh, and Tal explains that while he's not super religious, that this is a part of his life and had been for a long time. And uh, he tries to eat really, really slowly to not get to the part of their sit down where he has to reveal all yeah. of his deepest, darkest secrets. And everyone else is giving him like significant looks. Right. And just spit uh, it out. And the thing that he finally spits out uh, is like, so you saw me naked on a website, which is probably the least like important, least impactful part of any of this. And like he uses this as the jumping off platform to launch into his conversation about uh, being committed uh, to these other two people. And again, I found this both like very platform. Right. I, I found this both very sort of awkward, but at the same time, uh, I came out to my parents in a different language. I came mm -hmm. out to them in Russian, in a language where I don't have nearly the vocabulary for polyamory mm -hmm. that I do in English. So I had to come up with enough of a platform they did this in English, so like he had the language, just not the language that he ever spoke with his parents, is my assumption here. Um, and, you know, I, I can understand the sort of not knowing where to even start. Yeah. It's, it's not a, you know, uh, well, hey, I, you know, decided to quit college, or hey, you know, I'm moving to a different state, or whatever it is that you might tell your parents that is big news for you. Mm -hmm. uh, it, polyamory often can be tough to talk about to people that are not at all familiar with the concept, and that's what it seemed like was happening here. Well, yeah, I think the problem, the real problem with his presentation was he used that as the basis, because then he went, so we've been exploring this for a few years as if whatever thing they saw was the total basis of what they've been doing and then sort of afterthought threw in and we love them a lot i think for tall that may have been actually the case like again we're reading between the clues here and between the lines but uh they do talk right. a lot about it's just really bad salesmanship yeah. and by the time they got there they'd already formed an opinion because his dad had like the face of would have flipped the table if there weren't guests there and it wasn't Shabbat, you know? And I so... know exactly what his dad was thinking. I could read it on his face because my dad does the same thing. It was the, you're so crazy, you don't even know it. I can't <laughs> even react in any way but laughter at how stupid you are being about this. Right. So his dad had the like... My son, you have derped further than derping. <laughs> yeah. Dane face. And his mom is just like, what did I do wrong on her face? But like with a hint of anger. And then he tries to like ask his mom if they're cool. And what mom is going to do anything at that moment other than scream and flip the Shabbat table or say it's okay. 
and she's being filmed. So yeah, that, that, she that, that, says, seem like multiple takes. So she says, look, you're my son and I love you and I want you to be okay. So are you happy and okay? Then we're fine. I would not choose this. And then tells Jen what to me an outsider sounded like, get your shit together and get my son back in line. But to Jen <laughs> sounded like, I still want to have a relationship with you, which is all Jen wanted to hear because she just wants to hear she's not disowned. And she's not disowned because she's his wife. So it is, in the minds of all good Judeo-Christian folk, uh, her job to get him back in line. This has been Stereotype Hour with Laura. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she, so the mother actually says at one point, where did I go wrong? Which is, again, like mirror image of the conversation I had with my parents when I came out to them about being poly and hashtag same. Yeah. <laughs> my, my response to this was, I don't think you went wrong because maintaining a relationship with multiple people is hard. It's a skill being able to do it speaks of being a good communicator and you learn your communication style initially from your family, which I thought was a pretty clever response, but then my mother faked a heart attack. You know, obviously it's a difficult thing to do. And I think that this, episode does a decent job of showing a sort of range of like we expect this family to be super supportive we expect this family to be questionable or this person to be sort of questionable in their support and we expect this last uh couple to be these last two parents to be not supportive and like it's going to be an uphill battle uh, i think in the end the producers did go a little soft on it and try to like make it all seem okay because the beginning of the conversation uh, with Tal's family and the end were very clearly from different times. I think like the lighting was different. Their tones of voice were different. Might've been some different makeup after some crying. They, they were positioned differently in the room. It was not a smooth conversation. The lighting was dramatically different. Like the times of day had clearly shifted. But I think that the takeaway is that like, is it worth it coming out to your family? I think it's uh, worth considering. And how do you do it just like anything else that you come out to them about? Like this is, you're not going to be the first person to do it. Look at what other people have done and, you know, figure out what works for you. And you got to figure out, you know, how you want to, like what you want to do if their reaction is negative. So we've left episode six and coming out to everybody's parents in the world it is in fact somehow the only episode with a minimum of jen and hall fighting because they disagree a little bit on whether or not to tell his parents but she gives way very easily episode seven we let the genital fighting cord just rip the whole all, all the genital fighting the whole 
whole episode. I thought they did a really good job cutting this because it opens the episode with Tall joining his partners who live inside the main house for a, like, cute threesome, which would have just been a cute threesome in the softcore porn style of this program if it weren't for the fact that they then cut to Kamala in an interview using the word supercock to describe how threesomes with two dudes feel. I mean, it depends on what she's doing with them. Look, she's is one of them like a booster that gets jettisoned halfway through while the other one keeps going. She starts trying to describe this and then goes, you know, they just they make one super car is where the interview ends and gets cut away from. And I'm like, okay, you've just ruined this perfectly good better than 50 shades of gray example that i could have used as media that's kind of soft core they cut to the next morning and so the reason any of this matters is that as tall comes in kamala asks him oh is jen away with one of her other lovers so you can come in and spend the night because as we all probably remember from the first three episodes where they were all angry at Jen for having any boundaries, rules, or feelings. Uh, Jen's only remaining rule is that Tall has to sleep in their bed if she's home. It's not clear to me if that's the only remaining rule, but it's the rule that she keeps talking about for sure. Jen's primary enforced rule. If she's out, Tall can do what he would like. So Kamala goes... Oh, did she go out? Come on in with us. And the soft core commences. There is the great part of Tall tiptoeing and almost prancing out of bed and across the courtyard and into the other part of the house, which I just <laughs> loved. There was no Benny Hill music, but there should have been. This whole episode, this whole interaction between Jen and Tall is a great example of how not to talk to your partner about a rule that you didn't want to agree to in the first place. If one of the two parties in an agreement felt coerced into the agreement, they should have basically brought that up in a neutral or as close to neutral a location and way as possible, not broken the agreement and then refused to be sorry for breaking the agreement and then said, well, your agreement is dumb and you're too controlling. Yeah. I mean, it's a classic thing of basically you get in trouble and so you start saying, well, I was unhappy with the arrangement in the first place. And so like me breaking the rules is just a symptom of you setting too many rules. Not exactly a good tactic to try to win an argument and also kind of a terrible thing to do in the first place. Uh, because like, yeah, if the rule is there and you agree to it, then address it as if you did agree to it, then address the fact that you might not like the rule as a second separate thing. Right. Basically, if Tall came in and went, I did the thing that you didn't want me to do. I'm sorry. Just like the last time when they were talking about Sherry or Cherie, however she was pronounced. I'm sorry that I broke a rule that we had both agreed to. Because relationships are basically built upon a series of agreements that 
form trust between people. And so if he can't even go, I acknowledge that I broke an agreement and thereby broke trust. How is Jen supposed to repair anything in their relationship? And again, like this was the typical show thing of the, my guess is the situation was sort of nudged into existence. And, you know, the, the night before they were supposed to go do the thing that they do later in the episode. And all of that. Well, right. Like, I'm sure the timing was encouraged by the producers or because she goes, oh, I'm sure he just went over to go to the bathroom. And she probably wouldn't have questioned it if he hadn't shown up for another 20 minutes. If he then came back with coffee 20 minutes later and he might have woken up 20 minutes within those 20 minutes grabbed them both coffees and brought them over no fight but they made sure that a fight happened on camera in the timing that they were looking for right like every time they're in the house of the quad a fight has to happen yep and it seems like they're aiming for fights about jen the other thing about the pod's handling of Jen that seems kind of sketch to me is everybody else goes, look, we don't, and Kamala literally says, we don't tolerate drama very well. Not tolerating drama to the point of like toxic positivity of you can't have a negative feeling near me is really bad, you guys. (laughs) Well, and her whole thing is her first reaction is to basically like i'm gonna run over and give you a hug and smother the feelings out of you so you stop feeling those feelings because those are inconvenient to me and i can i can see the wheels turning in her head as this thing unfolded of these we just had this party where we announced that these people moved in with us that we've expanded our pod that we're now like doing this like extra poly thing and her poly identity is really important to her both for her like social identity and her work, it seems. Uh, And so to have Jen constantly threaten to move out because things are not working out really undermines her. So she like spreads out her arms and runs at Jen and is like, I'm going to hug you until you feel better. Jen is like, I don't want to hug. She's like, no, 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 no. You're going to need a hug. You don't, you don't even understand how much you need this hug. Jen is like, no, I want conflict mediation. And Kamala's like, can I offer you enough of affection to get you to do conflict mediation my way which is first a lot of physical affection then we all do a lot of really positive i statements and then everyone gets on board with limiting our boundaries as much as possible because they seem like real big hippies like really based in that original communal model that like spawned polyamory in the 70s it also seems like it is uh very much uh this idea that like any kind of fight any kind of anything your first step is to like remember how good this actually is and how like yes there's all these fights but like poly is worth it because look at how good poly is and then like once you have that like well no matter what we're not going to break this up then we're all you know ready to resolve the actual conflict right which is backwards to me yeah to me too like like in my world, you resolve the conflict and then you get around to, okay, we've resolved the conflict. Now I see why it is that I do the hard work here. So all of this is the background for Kamala, as she had promised in episode five, going to advise the triad about 
their wedding ceremony, uh, which the triad in whatever intervening time they've had since the last filming have adapted the design of their matching tattoos. It's no longer their initials. It's now three bands and a star and the star is red to be like revolutionary uh and kamala comes and starts talking to them about symbols and they end up deciding on a variation on a hand fasting ceremony and kamala is going to officiate it and they invite the pod along to the ceremony yep and uh well they invite the they invite Kamala to officiate it because they said they wanted this to be private. And Kamala capitalizes on the opportunity because it seems that she's like, yes, in the goal of trying to get genital to see how great this whole situation is and how great polyamory is and to see the light of reason, uh, what I need to show them is this young triad like triumphing over all the obstacles and committing to each other for life and beyond. And so she ends up inviting them to come along. So she's like, I need, she tells Jen, I can't go and do this thing that I committed to doing as the professional and community leader and whatever that I am, because you and Tal are fighting at home and I can, I don't trust you enough to work this out on your own. That last part is me editorizing a little bit, but that's effectively what she's saying, right? Is like, you guys are going to fight here and I don't feel comfortable with that. And I'd rather call off this like really big thing. I'd rather not be officiating somebody's wedding that I agreed to and planned because you guys get into a fight. And like to her credit, convinces them that this is a good idea, convinces everybody that it's okay for the, the three people that were not originally going to attend the ceremony to attend the ceremony with the sort of ulterior motive of reaffirming everybody's belief in the one true way of polyamory mm-hmm. which she really succeeds in because her pot are like sobbing in the background with joy it was literally just them and the pod they wanted it to be literally just them and kamala sort of forced the pod into attending which gave the cameraman the super clear shot of like jen sobbing with joy in the background you know it seemed like they genuinely did enjoy the, the triad did enjoy their ceremony it seemed yeah they had fun like the little dancing you know field for the cameras was a little bit cheesy but it was super cute i mean have, having been directed to act happy uh, during a wedding in in order to get the right pictures and video. Uh, I can totally see <laughs> exactly that. Run through the field. <laughs> right, exactly. Run through the field. Swing each of the girls around now. Okay, Anthony, lift her a little higher. But then, yeah, like uh, the, the pod returns to their home and all the problems are magically solved by this, by this whole thing. Uh, what I have a hard time expressing is just how cringy this episode was because all their reactions just felt so off to me. Kamala's reaction to just smother the feelings out of Jen because they're inconvenient, to cram them all in a car and try to capitalize on a completely unrelated situation to get her way. 
That's um, how they've just, all been toward Jen the entire season. The entire right. season felt like it was an ad for Kamala's services as a speaker and as a coach. And the rest of the quad was just there to make the point that her home life matched. The combination basically looked like, okay, everybody's got to make me look good. Wait, I had a jealous breakdown on screen that they captured. So we have to make everybody be cool with mine because I'm super enlightened. But we all have to rag on Jen every time she has a moment and we have to use terms like levels of polyamory a lot to show that there's a service I can provide people. Yeah. And like, I mean, you know, again, going into a little bit of like season two stuff, spoiler things. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much what they're building up for. Cause in season two, they have groupies. So yeah. really episode seven was a great conclusion for the triad. And, like, it's beautiful to see them get the, like, happily ever after moment they want. Do not Google what happened to them. It will only end in tears. I mean, not, like, for them as individuals, but for them as a group. And the quad have more adventures to have in season two. So we'll see them there in our next season or maybe on the patreon depending on how long our break between seasons is this time but it's been amazing having you to help me troll this extremely old show (laughs) (laughs) because despite being from 2012 it really is sort of the the reality tv show about polyamory as opposed to religious polygamy or some other situation that they throw a label on like you know there's some of these shows that have segments that are about polyamory but they've also got a segment in the same episode that's like but we're clowns you're telling me there are other reality shows where they just sometimes feature polyamorous like groups of people. Maybe they even interview them. <laughs> yes, yes, there are. <laughs> and then they maybe put them on like Facebook and YouTube, <laughs> and they become very popular. I will not be drawn drawn out by this Corwin. <laughs> <Don't> <laughs> <do> <laughs> no, uh, I mean like yeah, I struggle to think of other shows like this because. Uh, really like what other shows have touched on this. There was uh, Big Love, which is religious polygamy, essentially. Right, um, and it's more a show about not paying money into the religious mafia than anything else. I love right. that show. And that then show there is, is like the real L word, which just happens to have a lot of non-monogamy, but like not necessarily the healthiest kind. Because yep. uh, it, it, that show specifically, like, well, this show tried to highlight the sort of polyamory can be legitimately good for people Mm -hmm. that it works for um that show really was like infidelity yeah exactly and like thank you corwin as always for being willing to chat with me and in general troll the only 
reality show that actually looked at polyamory for two years in a row, even if it was generally just to make us look as trash, fiery, and tropey as possible. And to sort of take apart those tropes so that we can talk about what they could have done differently to mm, be less of a trash fire as much as we can. So as a reminder, you can find Corwin's Projects online. Uh, the links are in the description and it's for his Upline Studio project. You can also find the blog at www.readyforpolyamory.com. You can always uh, make yourself a patron on Patreon at patreon.com slash readyforpolyamory. And if you want, you can throw a tip in our hat at Ko-Fi, ko-fi.com slash readyforpolyamory. Links to everything are in the show notes. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. Bye.